Well, good morning. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update. People have been asking me on and off uh, what's happening with the Wheeling Church plant and what we haven't heard much about it. Well, over a year ago, I was trying to remember the timing of that, but a little over a year ago, we had a uh, consultant come in to really help us with the idea of planting the new church in Wheeling. And uh, after he spent some time with us and with the board and with Josh and a number of us, uh, there were some recommendations that he made to us. One of them was that there are some areas in the church that we need to shore up a little bit, to put some energy here, especially in some of the children's areas. We want to really get to a place, for example, where we have a really strong volunteer presence and, um, and some things we need to work on there. But second, he felt like starting in Wheeling uh, was a little bit too far of a jump for our next church plant. And so he recommended that our next church plant be someplace a little bit closer. Uh, we're not exactly sure where that is. I'd hate to get your hopes up, but you know, things like Preston County have come up and some other locations that would be closer, but they would also provide an opportunity for Josh to be able to stay on campus and help with some of the other areas. Uh, so really we feel like this is not um, changing our direction. We're about Mission West Virginia. Uh, we want to be planting churches throughout the state, and that's our heartbeat. Our other churches are starting churches as well. Uh, but we are thinking that we need to rethink where the next one will be. We, we expect fully to get to Wheeling. Uh, but we might pull, uh, push that back just a little bit. Uh, some of you are probably wondering, though, what Josh is thinking about this, because you know that he had such a heart for, for Wheeling. And, um, and he was, by the way, very much a part of this decision. This wasn't like the board said, you, you can't go. This was in conjunction with him. So I thought I'd let him talk about that just a speck. Yeah, so if you um, know some of our story, we are from the Northern Panhandle. Uh, my folks are both from Bridgeport, Ohio, Wheeling, and grew up in Weirton. My wife's from New Cumberland. So, you know, we've been working on this for about a year now, which is hard to believe, just kind of behind the scenes. And, um, and we were really excited to go. Um, but I'll tell you, we're just as excited to stay here. And um, we love what God is doing here in the greater Morgantown region, um, our small group, and um, so many of you become family. And uh, we're excited uh, to stay and invest and continue on staff here. And, and I think for me, you know, the biggest reason is just because God has, he's just proven himself faithful in our life that, that even if a plan isn't shaping up exactly how we thought it would, Whatever he's doing and however he's leading is going to be best. And we just, we have confidence in that and we are excited about that. Um, we've been connected now to the Ridge since 2010, which is also hard to believe. And there's really just been two things that I've, I've always just, um, that I've loved about our church. First um, is who we have in our pastor. Uh, Tim has just always been uh, just a faithful friend and mentor in this past year, just really trying to figure this out. Um, just so grateful for him, his commitment to our family, our church, the gospel, um, so grateful for that. And then, as Tim mentioned, this mission West Virginia has always got me excited. I love our state, I love our Mountaineers. Mm -hmm. I, I am excited for the day, whether that's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that we have a Ridge Church within every man, woman, and child in our state. And I'm pumped that we'll be able to stay here and, and help strengthen our ministries and, and prepare us for what God's gonna do in this next season. All right, so thank you. 
I'm going to take a minute and pray this morning. And of course, we're thrilled to have Josh here uh, also. But let's pray. Father, we just uh, do commit all our plans to you. You know that we, we can plan certain things, but you've got uh, a plan. And we really want to always line up with what you're going to do, whatever you say to do. If you say jump, we want to jump. And Lord, I thank you for Josh and his work here and the lives of so many people and the work that he's going to do in the future related to Mission West Virginia as we attempt to reach this state with the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. My second year of Bible college, I was living in the school dorm in downtown Chicago, and it was a dorm that had, or the floor had, between 30 and 40 college students on it, and then there was one RA. Uh, an RA is just a resident assistant. It's always a college student who gets free room and board for being an RA, for managing the floor, basically. Well, one day during my sophomore year, uh, my RA came up to me and said, Tim, I, I've been thinking that it'd be really good if you could apply to be an RA the next year. He said, I'm graduating, and I think you would be good for the position. My immediate response was, no. I can't, I can't do that. It's not me, you know? Primarily what an RA was was a leader, and I was not a leader. I just could not see myself as being a leader. It also, I thought, involved someone that's a little bit more outgoing than I was. I just, I just point blank, I mean, I was flattered that he'd ask me, but the answer was no. I'm not really interested, even though the idea of free room and board was appealing. Well, a week or so passed, and he pulled me aside again and said, I just, I just think you should be an RA. I think you need to apply for the position. And once again, I gave him the same answer. I just did not think it was something that I could do. So more time passed. The deadline to apply came and went, and I was perfectly fine with that. But then my RA came up to me again after the deadline, and he said, I still think you should apply to be an RA at the school. And I said, well, the deadline's already come and gone. It's too late. And he said, not for you. He said, I got special permission, and they said that you can turn in your application late. He says, in fact, I happen to have it with me. I have filled out my part of it, and you just need to fill out the rest of it and turn it in. Will you do that? And finally, I said, fine. I mean, it's like, he's just hounding me with this, and I probably wouldn't be accepted anyway, so I decided, fine, I'll do it. I mean, I got him off my back, and at the time I was going to school, I was working in the mail room at the school. That involved sorting mail and packages, but also delivering them to all the departments throughout the school, starting with the president's office and working down. And, and so I got to know some people in the process of doing that. And, and one day I was in the mail room and all of a sudden someone came in. I think she was from the dean's office. I was trying to think if it was personnel or dean's office, but she was pretty high up in that department. And she walked in and said, Tim, I have something for you. And she had a letter in her hand and she walked over to me and handed it to me and then she just stood there to watch. And I, I suspected what it was. I opened up that letter and I read the first line and it said something like, congratulations. You've been chosen to be an RA for the coming year. 
and my heart sank. I'm telling you, despair washed over me. I think I lost all the color in my face. And this, this woman who was so kind, she said, I just wanted to see your expression. It's, like, it's kind of like when you open up a bad Christmas present, you know. It's like you want to pretend it's a nice present, but you're thinking, wow, that's ugly. She said, I thought you'd be happy about it. What's wrong? And, and I don't even know how I answered her. I mean, I was grateful that she wanted to come and tell me in person, and it was just, I did not want to do it. And in that moment, I just felt I was absolutely stuck. I was committed of the opinion that when you commit to something, you commit to something, you commit to something. I was stuck, I was trapped. What I didn't realize at the time is that I was trapped in more ways than one. I mean, I felt trapped into this opportunity. I was trapped in accepting this position that scared me to death. I was trapped in that. Yeah, that's true, but there was another way in which I was trapped that I did not see at the time, and that is how I viewed myself. I did not see myself correctly. I think the RA did. I still don't know why he came to me. I wasn't a close friend of his, particularly. There were many other people on the floor that would have been better leaders than I was. He saw something I did not see in myself. And had he not pushed, I would not have gotten past that. I would have been trapped in a way of viewing myself. It turns out that being an RA is kind of fun. I enjoyed doing it, and I don't believe I'd be here today if I had not accepted that opportunity because it opened my eyes to some things about myself, and I grew and I learned. Today we want to begin a new series titled Trapped. All of us, I think, feel trapped at times and in lots of things. You maybe feel trapped in your circumstances, like I just can't get past these circumstances, or maybe you feel trapped in a relationship, like I'm just... I'm stuck in this relationship. You might feel like you're trapped in some sin area of your life. You say, I've tried to break free of this, but it, it's got me. I'm just, I'm just trapped. I can't do anything about it. You might feel like you're trapped in, in some of your emotions, the things that rule your life, like fear, like anger, like unforgiveness, things that trap us in a cage. It's, we become prisoners of this thing, and we can't see beyond that. Maybe you're trapped in a wrong view of yourself. I think we all are at times. Well, as we begin this series, we want to look at specific areas in which people get trapped because a lot of the different areas have different answers. But this morning is a little bit more introductory. I want to talk about an, a broad mindset to the whole subject of being trapped. And my takeaway is this, that changing the future sometimes requires changing the way we think. Changing the future sometimes requires a change in the way we think. Now, it's by God's grace that I, I don't think sometimes we can change. We can't see we, without the grace of God, but sometimes we will not make progress if we don't change the way we see things. Today, I want to look at a story that illustrates this. It's found in Exodus chapter 14. We'll be looking mostly at verses 10 through 14. It's a story about a time when the Israelites were trapped. I mean, they were literally trapped, there, there was no place that they could go, but they were trapped in another way. They were trapped in the way they saw things, the way they thought they were trapped in that way, which was the bigger issue, because the other issue was nothing with God, but this, this issue, this was a big issue. 
So let me set the context a little bit, and I know many of you are familiar with the context of this story. I love talking about it, by the way, when Israel came out of Egypt, out of slavery, because it relates so much to our Christian lives. But this is the summary of the story. A man named Israel had some wives and children and an extended family of about 74 people, and he faced a severe famine in the land that was going to last for years. And so he and his extended family all moved to Egypt where there was food. And they ended up staying there for 400 plus years. And that group of about 74 individuals at the end of four years had grown to a group of some estimate as many as two million. A lot of people. The problem was as they multiplied, as their numbers increased, the Egyptians became scared. They thought, what would happen if the Israelites turned against us in battle? Or what if they decided to fight us? There's so many of them. And so they decided while they could do something about it, that they would subject the Israelites to slavery. And that's exactly what they did. Now, we don't know for how long, how many decades, or even centuries, I don't know. We don't know how long they were enslaved. What we do know is they began to pray out to God because it was horrible what they were going through, and they began to cry out to God for deliver, and God sent Moses. And Moses was sent with the message to stand before Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. He said no, and so God kept sending plagues upon the Egyptians to humble them and cause them to turn to him, and there's a lot more to that story, but each time, Pharaoh said, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. I won't release you from slavery until the 10th one. The 10th plague was so bad that he was eager to get him out by then. Get him out of here. And in the middle of the night, this huge group of Israelites began to make their way across the desert. I don't know that we know exactly how long they were traveling, but at a certain point, Pharaoh had a change of mind. He realized he lost all of his labor force. Like, who's going to take care of all of our animals? Who's going to take care of our crops? Who's going to build the pyramids or whatever else they were building? All their labor force was gone, and he had a change of heart and mind, and so he decided to pursue the Israelites. And he got his chariots together, a large army, and they, they headed out to pursue the Israelites. The problem for the Israelites was this, that they, they had wandered to a place where they would be trapped by the time the Egyptians arrived. It was a place, by the way, that God had led them to. This was God's intention, I think, to change the way they saw certain things. But we pick up the story here where they begin to see that the Egyptians are coming. Beginning in verse 10 of Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. 
I'm a little bit astounded by this, and we're gonna look at it more deeply in a moment here, but I'm just astounded by this. They have not been out of slavery that long. You know, it hasn't been very long. And then the first sign of trouble, Moses, we told you we didn't want to leave. We want to serve the Egyptians. We loved it there. I mean, later on in the story, as they're wandering in the wilderness, they said, at least there we used to eat leeks and garlic. It's like, wow, how quickly they had forgotten. Now, it does say they prayed. They cried out to God. It wasn't real prayer from my perspective. Prayer, for it to be real prayer, needs to believe, have some faith behind it. It says they cried out to God and then they complained. <laughs> you know, it's like what we do sometimes when we're faced with something and we say, God help, but then we either carry the burden forward like we did before, like we prayed and we thought, well, I'll just throw it to God and, and then we go on and still carry the thing. Um, or else I think we, we uh, move forward in greater and greater anxiety. Things end up getting worse for us. We just don't, we take that matters into our own hands. Like, I can do this, you know? It just becomes worse. What did they get wrong here? I want to suggest a few things. I think, first of all, they, they were trapped because they didn't see God properly. This is what I call small God thinking. The reason that they were so distressed, even though it says they prayed, they were trapped. Why? They, they were trapped. They did not see God properly. I, I'd call this small God thinking. Their God was not very big in their eyes. Again, I'm a little baffled by it, although I have to confess, if I were one of them, I probably would have done the same thing. I might have, if I were in the group, been one of the ones saying to Moses, I can't believe this, but they had seen God work in so many ways. I mean, I don't know how you can have an excuse when you saw God do 10 miraculous signs that no one could deny. They saw the power of God work in ways that had never happened since the beginning of time. No human had ever seen such a thing. I mean, this isn't, this isn't some idol over here. This is the living and true God. On top of that, this God delivered them out of their slavery, which would have seemed impossible. And yet, they didn't believe. I know when I applied for that job as an RA, I only saw that position through the lens of my own inadequacy. I don't believe it ever occurred to me to say, you know, maybe God's leading through this guy and maybe I can trust God to help me. It didn't occur to me, you know, that, that maybe God wants me to do it. I, I completely answered the question from my own desire, from my own limiting thinking. I, I, I didn't think to ask, God, can you, can you actually empower me to do this? Can I make some progress here because you get involved in my life? But my view of God was, I think, small too, even though I was, I was at Bible college. And lots of times that's our problem. We don't realize that by God's grace, things can change. Our God is too small, and maybe part of the reason he's too small for us is that we've tried, and we've asked him, we've prayed about it, and nothing seems to change, and so we finally conclude, I guess it can't. Although sometimes we have to admit, sometimes God chooses to say no for one reason or another, but don't ever get to that point where you say he can't do it. Our God can do anything. We don't despair because of that. Our God can do anything. And they forgot that. 
In fact, our God is thrilled to work through weakness. That when you're weak, when you don't think you're able, when you think it's impossible, I think that's when our God shines. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul put it this way, I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I have to admit I'm not there yet. I take pleasure in weaknesses. No, not really. In insults, to be honest, I don't, that one doesn't get me too much. Catastrophes, <laughs> persecutions, I really don't want that either. Pressures, I don't like pressure. I'm not there yet. But I'll tell you, to get to that place, there have been times it was, and to believe that God is able in the midst of my weakness. They were trapped in another way, though. They first did not see God properly. Second, I think they were trapped because they did not see themselves properly. I'm convinced that in their minds, they were still slaves. That was the mindset they had. Well, that's just what we are. Look at their answer again in verses 11 and 12 of Exodus 14. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Didn't we say that we wanted to continue being slaves? We just, we just love serving those Egyptians. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. We told you don't do this. Don't set us free. Well, I, I think here's what happens sometimes. I think we get used to our trapped condition and we feel kind of safe there, comfortable there sometimes. And sometimes changing the future requires us to change the way we think. If we don't see ourselves differently, sometimes I don't think we'll take steps. We won't move forward if we don't begin to see that God is able to do new things through us, and, and if also if we don't see ourselves properly. Again, I think I was trapped in the way I viewed myself. I needed actually somebody else to help me see differently so that I would take a step. And so they didn't see God properly. They didn't see themselves properly. They're saying, let's go back. And by the way, they keep saying this the whole time as they're wandering. Let's go back, let's go back. Forgetting how horrible it was. But third, I think they felt trapped because they didn't see that God was for them. Now, this one's just a little different because what I'm talking about here is the intersection of the first two. They didn't see God was powerful, and they didn't see who they were in the eyes of God even. God did not view them as slaves. God viewed them as released ones, freed ones. God, God viewed them as, as people that were once he wanted to have this special relationship with, I want to be your God. You're going to be my people. And this third point kind of brings that together to say God's attitude toward you is an attitude of love. As Paul put it, if God is for you, who can be against you? But again, I don't think we, th we believe God is for us. Many of us are in this cycle where we think I sin too much for God to be for me. That's what you think. You think God's always mad at you? God's against you. You don't realize that your sin has been removed. If you put your trust in Christ, your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. The penalty has been paid in full. God sees you through the lens of Christ's perfection. But this is what God wanted for them. He said, I just want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to, 
I want, to, I want to demonstrate my power through you. I want my word to come through you. Eventually, I want my Messiah to come through you, the Savior of the world. I'm picking you. I'm choosing you. No, let's go back to Egypt. It's a lot better there when we had to work six days a week, 12 hours a day. That was so much better. As Christians, there are so many things that are true about us. If you've put your trust in Christ, you are a child of God. You're part of his family. He valued you so much that he sent his Holy Spirit to actually live inside of you. You're the temple of God. You're someone that he wants to spend an absolute eternity with. He said, that's one I want to be with for all eternity. That's a big deal. You know, my wife loves me, but for all eternity, you know? No, she, she would. She would. I shouldn't say that. But our commitment to people is not like God's is. We're someone for whom Christ died. And so the bottom line was they were, they were trapped against this body of water. They were trapped by the Egyptians, but they didn't see it. So Moses said again in verse 13, he said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He'll provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. He says, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. I just want you to notice that there's a, a God part here and a very small people part. The people part is stand firm in what you know to be true. Stand firm in who I am. Stand firm. The God part, of course, is look for the Lord's salvation. He's going to take care of this for you. You're not going to have to fight this battle. Several months ago, I came to a new understanding. Actually, it was a few few years ago, I came to a new understanding of what the word saved means. I mean, what Israel was looking for here was to be saved. The word means to be delivered. When you find it throughout the pages of the Bible, it always means to be delivered. Uh, it doesn't always mean eternal salvation. You have to ask the question, saved from what? And so if someone's drowning and you rescue them, if you deliver them out of the water, they were saved. You saved them. And people can be saved physically. Of course, people can be saved also spiritually means to be delivered from the penalty of your sin, that Christ paid the price in full for everything you've done wrong so that you could be forgiven. And, and so whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued from an eternal destiny, separated from God because your sin is removed. Jesus came to save us. But the Hebrew word for this is a little bit bigger than just meaning to deliver. It means to de deliver from a place of confinement to a place of, of spaciousness. That's what the word means. It means that you were trapped here, but now I'm gonna put you in an amazingly spacious place. It's a lot bigger than just rescuing you. It's rescuing, rescuing you into something bigger and better. And so Moses said, God wants to provide your salvation. He wants to bring you to a broad place, a spacious place, eventually what would be called the promised land. That's what he wanted to do for them. Well, any of you, anyway, many of you know the story. Um, the people cried out to Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord. The next verse is really interesting to me. In Exodus 14, 15, it says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? 
Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Did you hear what God said to them? It says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Well, because you're the one I should pray to. What does, I mean, why would God say that to Moses? Like, why are you crying out to me? You know why? He should have he just gone. Now, that's hard for us to understand. But God, I think, was implying by this that Moses should have thought differently himself. Moses should have realized this is the God that's done all kinds of amazing things. This is a small deal for God. Just go. Now, again, God is the one who does it. And I think it's interesting that he was kind of reproved a little bit for just standing there instead of acting on what he knew to be true about God and God's attitude toward the people. And so the waters parted and they crossed over on, on dry ground and when they got toward the end of this, this sea, uh, God released the Egyptians to chase after them because God had been holding them back and so the Egyptians chased in after them with this large army. When they got to the middle of the water, God caused the waters to flood back in and it drowned the Egyptians. And when they get to the other side of the land there, the Israelites, we read about a song they wrote. It says in verse one of chapter 15, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I'll sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There's that word again, that Hebrew word. A scholar by the name of Walters defines salvation to bring into a spacious environment. It carries with it the metaphorical sense of freedom from limitation and deliverance from factors which constrain and confine. This is what I think God wants to do for us. He wants to bring us to a spacious place in our thinking, but also even spiritually. Didn't Jesus say, I came that you might have life? I think that's eternal life, but life everlasting or abundantly. I want you to experience an abundant life as well. That's what it means to bring into the spacious place. I saved you, but now I bring you to this other place. So let me summarize this morning. I think sometimes changing the future requires changing the way we think. Again, I think we need God to help us with this. Sometimes we're trapped because we don't see God properly. Sometimes it's that we don't see ourselves properly. And sometimes we don't see God's attitude toward us properly. All three of those things get in the way. So let me ask you these questions by way of application. One is, in what ways are you trapped in your thinking? I just, that'd be a good homework assignment. Where am I trapped in my thinking? Where am I stuck? And is it something that has to do with, with how you view God? Is it a, a God who in your mind cannot do anything anymore? I mean, in your mind, are you, is your God small? Does it have to do with yourself, maybe, that you're feeling trapped? Are there areas in which you should be set free and you need to think about it differently? Or maybe it's just the way you think God thinks about you. I think this is a huge thing. Because again, I think most people think God is pointing at them and accusing. Instead, our God says, I just want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And it's all because he loves us so much. We're going to sing a song for you right now. It's called Wanted. It's just a song about the fact we are wanted by our God. We are wanted. And knowing that, our God's attitude toward us is that. It causes us to want to reach out to him. And then I'll come back in the end and just talk for a moment about the greatest freedom of all where God wants to release us from being trapped.
sending his son Jesus, he proved it, that he would die on the cross in our place and for our sin. We are wanted. And God wants us to know that, and it requires putting our trust in Jesus to be our Savior. The things I've talked about here this morning are not about positive thinking. Actually, what they're about is thinking correctly about what's true and right. And it begins to change your life. Concerning ourselves, thinking correctly means we recognize we've sinned, and we can't fix it that we're broken. If you doubt me, try to stop it. Try to stop sinning for a day or two. 
Ask your loved ones how well you did. We can't fix it. We can't clean ourselves up. We need a savior. We need a deliverer, and that's why Jesus came to take upon himself the sin of the world. He was dying in your place and mine and for our sin. And he died and was buried, but he rose again from the dead. It demonstrates God accepted the payment on our behalf. But it requires a response to that truth, the truth about who we are as sinners and the truth about Jesus, who he is. The Son of God, God the Son and Savior of the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so before we leave this morning, I encourage you, if you have not come to a point where you acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior, to reach out to Jesus, to say, I know I've blown it and I can't fix it. Today I want to put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. I want your death and resurrection to count for me. And after the service, you want to talk with someone, there'll be some people up front that would love to talk with you further about that. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the fact that you wanted us. Despite the fact we've blown it, we're like sheep who've gone astray, turning to our own way, yet you love us and you care for us so deeply that you'd send your son to pay the price for the things we have done wrong, the punishment for us. And thank you, Lord, that getting this salvation, this, this being set free from the trap of the penalty of our sin is not something we can earn. We'd never know the score if it were something we had to earn. No, it's, it's just to receive it by faith, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for Jesus, and that through faith in him, we could have eternal life. We ask you, Lord, as we go from this place, that you help us to apply the things we've heard today to the situations we'll face in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.